You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. With the globe sheltered in place over the last six months, many have been taking to liquid ways to pass the time. While bars have had to close in response to the coronavirus pandemic, though some are mixing cocktails for takeout, sales of alcohol from retail outlets have skyrocketed this year. Year-over-year growth rate for total off-premise alcohol dollar sales for the entire 25-week pandemic period ending August 22nd was up around 23%, and while beer and wine sales are up from last year in the U.S., it seems that people are increasingly turning to spirits during stay-at-home measures. Spirits in the U.S. shot up 26%, according to Nielsen. Wine sales went up 17% during the same time, and beer sales went up around 15%. All in all, alcohol sales have been the one few bright spots in a troubled economy. My guest today on The Luxury Item is Rodney Williams, president and CEO of Belvedere Vodka, a super premium vodka that's part of the LVMH group. Rodney is responsible for the development, growth, and business vision for the Belvedere brand. Most recently, he was the CMO for Moet Hennessy USA's portfolio of luxury champagne, wine, and spirits brands. He's here today to talk about how the pandemic has impacted Belvedere's business, emerging trends in the marketplace, shifting customer attitudes and behaviors, and the launch of Belvedere's new Made with Nature campaign. Welcome, Rodney. I'm thrilled to have you on the luxury item. Thank you. It's an honor to be here with you, Scott. I'm excited to have you on and um, congratulations on the launch of the new Made with Nature campaign. And we'll get to talk about that in a little while. So it's, it's really exciting. Thank you. We have a lot to talk about, um, but I want to kind of back up a little bit because your background is super interesting. You know, before you joined join the wine and spirits business, you headed up the marketing team uh, behind the launch of GM's OnStar Innovation. And you started your career in brand management at Procter & Gamble and Johnson & Johnson. So what was it like transitioning over to the wine and spirits business? Well, of all the transitions I've done, and I also worked for .com, I worked for uh, in biotech, I would say the wine and spirits uh, transition was the most difficult because there wasn't uh, just the history I had to read about, but you really, you really have to develop a palate. And, uh, and you can only do that experientially. So it's, uh, it's quite an encompassing um, investment. But I, I started out with Robert Mondavi, and uh, they were sort of hit a, um, a stagnant point where the base of the business hadn't been growing for four years. And they were interested in bringing in a more traditional, uh, some of traditional marketing background. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we got that moving, and the, the company ended up being acquired. Um, it was brought over to Kendall Jackson, uh, Jackson Family Wines, to uh, ignite growth there. We did the biggest launch in, in their history um, around something that was sort of the antithesis of Kendall Jackson Chardonnay, which is very creamy and rich, but a Chardonnay that had just been aged in steel. And then Moet Hennessy invited me over to uh, to join the team to rekindle growth on, on the Hennessy brand. I've been, I've been with Moet Hennessy for the last nine years as a parent organization of, uh, of Belvedere Vodka. Right, and which is part of LVMH. Yes. And, and, you know, what stands out 
there's a lot of things that stand out to me about LVMH, but during the outset of the pandemic, LVMH immediately mobilized on all fronts in the effort to fight the disease. You know, they converted production lines of its perfume and cosmetic brands to produce large quantities of hand sanitizer for the French health authorities, finance millions of surgical masks. And what impressed me most was they really were the first out there to put purpose before profit. I know Belvedere had, you know, all the houses had their role. What was Belvedere's role during yes, the pandemic? Yes, those, those were, were, were heady days and, uh, and we were all pressed into action. For Belvedere, uh, the opportunity was to create um, high-proof spirit that could be used in hand sanitizers and for disinfectants um, in, in hospital um, settings. And um, believe it or not, um, we had a very hard time uh, donating product to that cause. Uh, Poland um, has tremendous expertise in, in alcohol distillation. Um, the city of Poznan mm -hmm. in 1850 had 500 distilleries, if you can believe it, only about wow. 50,000 people, yeah. So long history of this. And as a result, the government is very, very um, stringent in terms of licenses. And we were licensed to produce only at a certain proof level and you know, only for consumption and, and not for, for medicinal purposes. So um, we worked hard for about a five week period mm -hmm. to find a partner who would, would, would adequately be able to take our, our donation and, and make good use of it. And the partner turned out to be Michelin. Apparently in Poland, they make hand sanitizer. And with Michelin, we partnered also with, uh, with Caritas, the largest charitable organization in, in, in Poland to uh, contribute um, disinfectant product to about 200 hospitals, uh, first responders, um, and something that is, is sort of akin to, to our um, national reserve that um, serves the country in terms of emergencies. So at the, at the beginning, I was talking about, you know, alcohol sales have really been one of the few bright spots in this trouble economy. And it just seems consumers have been stockpiling alcohol like toilet paper in their pantry <laughs> during lockdown. How has Belvedere's volume growth fare, fared during this period? Yeah, we, knock wood, um, have done quite well, all things considered. You know, uh, Belvedere, for a long time, has been a staple of, of nightclubs and, of course, uh, craft um, bars and, and, and upscale restaurants. So to have that sector close um, or be seriously handicapped during the pandemic was a big limitation. But what we've found is that, you know, in, in times of uh, crisis or difficulty, consumers sort of retreat to quality, they retreat to the brands that with, with which they're familiar. And, um, and Belvedere has done extremely well at retail and, and in e-retail and e-commerce uh, as well. So uh, overall, we year to date are, are, are in growth, uh, knock wood. Um, uh, which is an incredible feat here in the U.S. No question. And because it, it's interesting during the, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, you were finding that consumers who were loyal to, you know, these well-known brands, all bets were off the table when they went grocery shopping. Um, they were just looking for convenience and price and anything that was on the shelf. Um, so it was, it was, you know, the trend with Belvedere was actually counter to what was going on in the grocery area. 
And it seems like, you know, consumers, what you're saying is during this period that consumers were opting for more quality, super, uh, super premium and luxury spirits versus economy spirits for the most part. Yes. The way we frame it is consumers are sort of interested in drinking less, but drinking better. So, um, you know, they've been less active, unable to go out um, and hang out as, as they were previously. But, uh, but they still have an interest in enjoying life and, yeah. and you know, being social in their, in their own immediate uh, confines. And uh, an interest then also in, in terms of quality. You know, the other, other sort of uh, evolution that we've seen as a result of the pandemic, particularly as it relates to uh, luxury brands, is that the sense of status seems to be shifting away from, you know, sort of uh, badge value um, and quality and inspiration alone to also needing to project something about what the brand stands for. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the case of Belvedere, we've, we've always been all natural. So Belvedere is just made with two primary ingredients, and that is rye and water. We distill it by fire and that's it. There are no additives, there's no sugar added, there are no emulsifiers. Um, And to be able to be transparent about our ingredients uh, and, 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 and that they are so simple really sort of fits this um, pandemic induced uh, interest in things that are natural. Um, and things that are, are, are readily uh, understood. Were you seeing the uh, similar patterns across different demographic groups? We are. Um, and part of it is uh, because there's such commonality yeah. people are feeling in terms of being um, held in place. But the other part of it is that, and, and this is consistent with other recessions, is that when, when economic times are fraught, um, consumers want a sense of getting great value for their money. And so brands that are familiar, brands that have always stood for quality mean something, but brands that are also compatible with their own values um, also seem to, uh, to, to do particularly well. Yeah. I'm curious to think, uh, find out what your outlook is on the uh, global liquor industry. While the off-premise alcohol sales have been through the roof, you know, all those on-premise growth drivers you were talking about, like restaurants and bars and nightclubs and outdoor events and even international travel has really been kind of under pressure due to COVID. You know, what is your outlook for the, uh, for the industry over the next yeah, few years? Yeah, so, uh, you know, um, all of the, uh, the, the, the forecasts, are that you know we are going to experience another wave of this you know on top of the flu season to come this winter right. um, so we're not done with it um, and probably until there is a vaccine that's that's proven you know of, to be efficacious um, so uh, but yet you know there's still a human um, instinct to uh, to get together and to uh, and to be social um, and to enjoy alcohol beverages. So um, we remain um, optimistic. You know, we think even with, with the on-premise, with restaurants being closed, the creativity that we're seeing in, in cities 
where they've carved out street space for, uh, for restaurants, for outdoor dining, where they have allowed uh, cocktails to be consumed, uh, you know, outside of the restaurant. So we're seeing lots of creativity uh, from that standpoint, and certainly, you know, in terms of at-home consumption. Making cocktails used to be really intimidating for consumers. Right, right. You thought you needed all the accoutrement, and what recipe, and do I have the right blend? And I guess because people have had quite a bit of time, um, you know, we're getting a lot of feedback that um, consumers rather enjoy it. And, um, and we think that's going to be a sustaining uh, trend um, even post uh, COVID-19. So everybody's going to want to be Tom Cruise and uh, cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. So, <laughs> so you know, like- you know, speaking of creative, you know, cre- you know, it seems like creative consumers have found ways to recreate this virtual bar life with Zoom cocktail parties and quarantinis. You know, digital drinking might not replace the traditional bar scene, but you know, it's at least finding new ways to breathe life into social drinking. So how do you yeah. think drinking, the drinking culture has changed? I, I think that's very true. And, you know, we've also, from a demographic standpoint in the U.S., crossed the line where the millennials are now the biggest population cohort. And um, their value system is a little bit different from, uh, from the older generations, the Gen Xers and the boomers, um, in that they really, really, really do uh, believe in drinking in moderation more, uh, but they value um, nature and the environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you know, COVID's making us all think a lot about it and the power of nature. So uh, that's why we're so excited about our campaign, Made with Nature, right. uh, which had been in development you know, certainly before the pandemic. Oh, I'm sure. But it, it, it really just tells the story of, of Belvedere in terms of the simplicity of our ingredients. We, we, we draw post-garage from just eight um, agricultural sources in Poland. So we have 100% traceability. And there, there are not a lot of uh, producers um, who can say that. And, and, and I think the other thing about uh, Belvedere is that you know, we've always had this culture of, of, of what we call the power of the collective, the, the we, not the me, of teamwork. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also very appealing, particularly to, uh, to younger um, adult consumers. Yeah, I agree. Have, have you seen any other trends that have come out over the last six months? Well, um, I think, um, you know, in addition to, uh, to, the, to the home consumption, there's an openness to, uh, to experimentation. Mm-hmm. We had uh, developed a, a new vodka uh, called uh, Heritage 176. It's actually malted rye vodka. Hmm. So we take, we take it's, it's the way vodka was made up until the late uh, 1800s. We, uh, we roast the, the rye at 176 degrees Fahrenheit, hence the name. And without adding sugar, not adding anything other than the rye and the water, the malting adds a very distinct uh, flavor profile, such that you have a, a great sipping vodka. So we went through a lot of hand wringing internally, Scott. Um, you know, when the pandemic started, because this was scheduled to launch in May, and right. you know, things were shutting down in March, and we we're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, the sky's falling. But what we've since seen is that. Um, 
consumers even at home are really open to experimentation. And I think part of it is um, this openness that uh, millennials have to, uh, to trying what's new. So, you know, the typical boomer uh, drink consideration set was about four or five go-to drinks. Um, and for, for millennials, the research said it can be 10 to 12. So there's a bigger consideration set and it's, it fits with this notion of experiencing new and different things and really seeking them out. And I think um, um, quite surprisingly, the, uh, the pandemic is only, only fueling that. So when you think about how you've navigated through these uncharted waters over the last six months, like what are some of the lessons that you've learned? Nobody, nobody expected this to happen. Well, I, you know, we certainly um, learned the value of, of communication. Um, the, the interesting thing about our business is that our corporate offices are in New York City, but our distillery uh, and the bulk of our team is in Poland. Right. Um, so we had to over-communicate to, uh, to stay in touch with everyone as, as, as things were happening. But I, I think the big thing that we've learned coming out of this is that you know th this this whole idea of status also requiring that brands stand for something? Um, so I think we and many other brands have felt uh, a sense of validation and um, and encouragement to uh, to really uh, stand for um, certain principles um, in the world and. For Belvedere, you know, this philosophy of, of, of inclusion has, has been a pretty important um, part of our organization for a long time. At our distillery, on the production line, we're 50-50 male-female, we're 50-50 male-female in the management ranks, and, uh, and then the executive level, we're 40% female. That's cool. So, um, yeah, and, you know, LGBTQI+, we have representation from the executive level on down. And, uh, and I'm African-American, not Polish, mm -hmm. but, uh, but warmly embraced by my Polish colleagues. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does speak to the idea that you can have a culture that really embraces, you know, people from disparate backgrounds and perspectives and, uh, and come together and create something, you know, magical and, and, and special. And I think um, this environment has really um, given a sort of um, boost to brands who might have been um, fearful or on the fence about really taking a bold step forward. Yeah, and transparency is so important these days um, with companies and, you know, we're talking about millennials and interested in natural ingredients, but they're also interested in, you know, peeking behind the curtain of the company to look up, you know, look at its makeup, et cetera. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, even from a, from a CSR standpoint, you know, we're very proud of the fact that we cut CO2 emissions by 42% from 2012 to 2018 when we became the first distillery to win a green energy grant from the European Commission. And, um, and we're bringing online next year a biomass capture facility at the distillery where we'll be able to take waste product, the 
heat generated from the distillation process and create clean energy from it, such that our operations will be um, a carbon neutral. And we will also, we're in discussions with figuring out how to connect to the local town grid in Girardoff um, to provide electricity, uh, which is currently um, um, supported by coal. So um, that's an important initiative, but I think as consumers become much more engaged about nature and the environment, these are the sorts of programs um, that they expect to see. And, um, you know, we've never before had interest in, in our work. We're a co-founder of something called the Foundation for Local Environment Protection, which, which encourages um, local post-garage development and nurtures long-term relationships with the, with the agricultural sources. And we also, we also convene something called the Roth Spirit Summit with the uh, Technical University at Woosh, which, uh, which is all focused on uh, sustainable growth of, of, of post-garage, where we bring farmers and scientists together to talk about the latest technology. And we produce a journal from it, a scientific journal every year. So these are things we would never mention in communications, you know, pre-COVID, pre but now it's sort of uh, relevant to have them discoverable for consumers because uh, people increasingly uh, feel that they're germane. Yes. You know, the, the vodka category is an interesting one and it's very competitive. It's the largest spirits category. And I think it accounts for something like one third of the market volume. Yeah. And you also have some, you know, you also have these more sophisticated drinkers these days and consumers are approaching their food and drink choices in a more thoughtful and considered manner. So it seems that the brands that are real and differentiated in this category have a better chance to grow. So how does Belvedere differentiate itself in this complex market? Yeah, no, great, great um, insight. We, we fully agree with you. Um, so we differentiate ourselves in a, in a couple of ways. Um, first is that we are based on rye. And rye is difficult to grow and, and quite tricky to distill. So you find many more vodkas based on, on wheat or corn or potatoes uh, versus rye. Uh, but rye imparts flavor. If you compare a slice of rye bread with a slice of white bread or even wheat bread, the, the rye is, is, is what really imparts flavor yes. and, mm -hmm. and taste. And, um, and, and we think that that is a real differentiator for Belvedere. The, the other, other factor for us is that being Polish, Polish-based, um, Poland was the first country to appellate or regulate vodka the way France, Italy, the US um, appellates and regulates wine, such that we are not allowed to add, uh, add, put additives um, in vodka, um, where to some degree you can if you're if you're producing elsewhere. So you won't find added sugar and emulsifiers um, in Belvedere. It's literally just the, the rye and, and the water. Um, and I think those things really really help differentiate us from from other brands. 
And then lastly is, you know, how we, how we sort of show up in the, in the world in terms of what it is that we, we do um, to give back, you know, and, and, and part of that work in the programs I mentioned earlier was about this ethos we've always had to nourish the land and share. But the other part of it is, you know, how we, how we present ourselves. And, um, and we've long tried to have a very um, eclectic group of amb ambassadors who sort of represented um, a freedom to express oneself um, fully and creatively, um, even if it's, you know, different than how most other people uh, express themselves. Do you think the term imported when it's on the label is, is persuasive enough these days and, you know, the country of origin? Well, uh, yes and no. And, uh, you know, it probably depends on the, on the category. So if you look at something like whiskey, there are subcategories, you know, Scottish whiskey versus Irish whiskey versus Canadian or American. But, um, you know, in general, and particularly about the world of vodka, it's much more about the authenticity of the brand. Mm -hmm. where people are interested in the real backstory of the brand. And as there's depth to it, there's heightened interest. So in the case of Belvedere, we're producing a distillery that is 110 years old. It's the, one of the oldest continuously operating vodka distilleries in the world. And, um, you know, Poland has a 600-year um, tradition of, of making, making vodka. There's long been a rivalry between Poland and Russia as to, as to mm -hmm. the true origins of, of vodka. But, um, but Poland rests its hat on the fact that in 1405, um, the first written record of vodka was consummated and it was in I Polish. did not know that. Yeah, it's in Polish. So the Poles, uh, that's the Polish argument. And uh, I'm <laughs> <to> it. <laughs> last year, Belvedere uh, joined forces with, you know, Grammy nominated musician, actor, activist, Janelle Monet on that limited edition bottle design, which was amazing. And there was a whole social and creative campaign that focused on opportunity and empowerment. So first of all, how did that partnership originally come about? Because I know that wasn't the first time you collaborated with her. No, so that, yeah, we collaborated with her for a couple of years and we approached her because part of our brand DNA is this power of the collective working as a team. We don't have one master distiller, but actually a team of distillers who work together to create Belvedere. And, you know, it, in, in, in learning more about Janelle, um, she works with a creative team herself. Uh, called Wonderland that's dedicated to crafting her music and you know charting her 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 film um, projects. So um, her way of working was very attractive to us, as well as her powerful voice for amplifying the stories um, and the experiences of of people whose um, whose stories don't always get told. So it was a very, very exciting uh, collaboration for us, but it really, she really embodied, we thought, and still think, um, this whole spirit of uh, the power of the collective. Yeah, it seemed, the it seemed like the campaign emphasized the importance of diversity, inclusion, positivity, and empowerment. 
It's actually, it's interesting. We're starting to see, you know, more luxury brands ramping up diversity and inclusion in their campaigns. So, you know, so being relevant across a diverse spectrum of audiences is absolutely critical for the luxury industry. There's no question. And to me, diversity and inclusion are crucial for the future of the luxury industry. What are your thoughts on that? Agreed. And, you know, you look at the demographic changes alone, the U.S., but it's more than that, Scott. I really think that, you know, this, this younger generation of consumers who are coming into their own now um, really, uh, you know, they're, 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 they've grown up on, on the internet. So they, they've, they've been, you know, weaned in social media and it's opened the world to them. So you, you, you don't have to live in New York or LA or, or some big media center to really have access to lots of ideas and imagery and music and trends. And so as a result, I think, you know, people are open, more open-minded and more um, open to, uh, to change. And so I think we're going to see more of it and we're going to see brands um, have to in the luxury sector um, be able to keep up and, uh, and make statements and, and stand for something um, accordingly. One of the um, exciting things that we did, uh, Belvedere, in this, this recent uh, period, was to partner with an organization called uh, Race Forward, mm -hmm. which is really um, addressing from a policy standpoint uh, issues of, of, of social justice. And um, I, you know, would we have done that five years ago? Um, probably not as easily, but Belvedere has always sort of been um, on a leading edge. We've been a part of Bono and his red campaign mm -hmm. to end HIV in Africa for uh, the last nine years. And, um, and of course, as part of uh, Moet Hennessy, um, we donated during this period to, uh, to the restaurateur and bartender uh, guild to really um, help those particular industries uh, that we're so close to that were uh, severely impacted. So I think it is increasingly incumbent upon um, luxury brands to be relevant to consumers where they live and how they are experiencing the world um, in, a way, in ways that we probably would not have given comments to um, you know, five years ago. Yeah, and I know LVMH actually has, I think they have, um, I think they started it last year or two years ago, this, this uh, inclusion index. Uh -huh. And it's, you know, recognizes diversity and inclusion initiatives throughout the group. So mm -hmm. as, a, as an organization itself, it's, you know, really committed to this. Yes. And, you know, it takes um, monitoring and, and capturing, you know, uh, uh, progress. To really be to really be able to move forward, and um, you know, LVMH is pretty proud in the U.S. that you know, 50% of, uh, of of women in key company, 50% of people in key company positions are women. But um, LVMH started uh, an initiative to um, include more women in senior roles 11 years ago. And, um, and the numbers weren't very good even nine years ago when I joined. Uh, but the fact that it's been monitored and it's something that 
the company has a long-term ambition towards um, achieving is, is, is quite impressive. Yeah, I know they've also talked about their commitment to environmental performance as really a strategic growth pillar. So mm -hmm. what are some of Belvedere Vodka's best practices when it comes to supporting sustainability? I know we touched upon it a little bit earlier. Yeah, so we're, we're working, Scott, to uh, remove um, plastics from, uh, from what we do. It's going to be a you know, long-term uh, process, but we moved away from straws. We're figuring out how in um, promotional gift packs um, we can use less packaging. Uh, the materials that we use um, are recyclable. Um, and again, uh, we've taken uh, some of the packaging out of the, uh, the shippers uh, themselves. So in addition to the CSR work and the green energy work, um, it's also about you know, lifestyle work and, and, and practicing at every touch point, um, bringing the, those values of protecting the environment to, uh, to fruition. So your CSR mission is to nourish the land we share. Yeah. One of the exciting things that we'll be embarking on in the months to come is that um, rye and some of the byproducts from harvesting rye can be used um, as a regenerative agent for replenishing um, depleted topsoil uh, of, of key um, nutrients. So um, we're, we're partnering with um, an environmentally focused, um, uh, agriculturally focused uh, nonprofit organization to, uh, to help farmers and particularly farms where the topsoils have been um, eroded or declined um, to rejuvenate them. So um, we're finding as we scratch the surface of this, there's just more and more ways in which we can work to uh, collectively with our agricultural partners, with our other vendors, with our local community, uh, do more and better by the, by the environment. Which is a great segue to your exciting new global platform, Made With Nature. What was the thinking behind this new platform and what insights were you seeing along the way? Obviously this goes back before pandemic kicked in what insights yeah. were you seeing about the customer that led you to that made with nature message? Well, you know, one of the uh, conundrums Belvedere has long faced is that um, it's been a staple in the night, um, you know, big, very big in, in, in nightclubs around the world. And, you know, we also have this sort of artisanal craft uh, background um, as well. We were just named a, a couple of weeks ago at the New York International Spirits Competition, uh, best Polish uh, vodka in the world and, oh. and best rye vodka in the world. Oh, congratulations. So, uh, yeah, thanks. And, and you've got a ton of accolades um, from other competitions um, as well. So it kind of created a sort of uh, duality in terms of, or, or, or conflict in terms of, you know, are you sleek and chic and sexy in the night or are you you know, craft, uh, you know, in your overalls, you know, with uh, dirt under your fingernails, you know, uh, uh, toiling the earth uh, in terms of craftsmanship. And, uh, and I think what we did was to really take a step back, look at the DNA 
of, of, of the brand itself, really understand how we produce the product and how we connect with consumers. And then just decided, you know, that the, the key, key point of commonality is this whole notion of, of uh, that, that we're all natural um, and that we just have two primary ingredients, rye and water, and we're distilled uh, by fire, but nothing else. And, um, you know, we talk about trends that are happening now earlier, but one of the things that people are struggling with is really understanding what's truthful and what's not about communications in general, but also about brands. Mm -hmm. And so we thought that stripping down everything we're communicating to the most elemental focus sense, rye water distilled by fire, made with nature, um, which is, is the campaign um, anthem, is, is the best way that we can really start a dialogue based on facts and truth about the consumer that should serve them in any occasion in which um, they consume uh, Belvedere. So a lot of people are surprised, for instance, that um, Belvedere is gluten-free. Hmm. Um, you know, and I've had, I've had not just consumers, but bartenders say to me, well, you know, other brands say it on, on their label. And what, what we've said is, and explained on the website as well is that all vodka that's distilled is gluten-free. Gluten is a pretty big molecule and it's removed in the distillation process. And Belvedere goes through four distillation um, passes. But the, the Celiac uh, Association of, of America on their website says, yes, any distilled spirit is, um, is gluten-free. And just last month, the FDA, for the first time, made a, made a similar ruling that um, um, you know that distilled spirits and vodka, in particular, uh, even if they're based on wheat or based on rye, are, are gluten free. Well, we find people don't people don't know this yet. You know, people don't maybe don't appreciate that Belvedere is a non-GMO. Belvedere is kosher. Uh, certified. So um, there's a lot of information about being natural that um, is engaging, it's informative, it's relevant, um, but most importantly, um, is true for the brand. And that's what we really want to focus on. And we think, you know, even if you're in a hot nightclub and, uh, you know, it's a see and be seen scene. Um, when that know, happens again, yeah, when we so hope it's soon, sooner rather than later. Uh, but when that does happen, you know, we think it, you know it would it will matter to people when they look at a, a menu list uh, in terms of what they're consuming. That you know that, that there's a choice that like Belvedere that's that's all natural. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's almost like a wine a wine pairing where you can pair Belvedere vodka with certain types of meals. Well, it's interesting that you say that because um, one of our, our, our innovations, um, our recent innovations two years ago was the launch of something called Single Estate Series. So we launched two vodkas, both based on the same grain of Dankowski rye, fabulous rye. You could bake bread with it. 
but we took the same rye, we planted it in one estate near the Baltics in the north of, of, of Poland, where the winters are severe and cold and the rye really has to struggle to survive that, that cold climate. Um, and we planted another in the, in the west of, of Poland where the, the continental Europe uh, weather fronts are much warmer over the course of, uh, of the winter. And if you've never had vodka in your life, you can taste the difference between these two vodkas. Uh, the one from the north is lighter, it's a little bit more floral, and the one from the west is the rye is more hearty because the, the winter has been, uh, been less uh, severe. It's interesting because so, you don't really think of vodka, you don't think of the words floral and vodka in the same sentence. Or even terroir. Or oh, terroir, know? right, terroir. exactly. And, it, you know, in, in, in all honesty, that's wine, we that's wine talk. When we were started developing this, that we, that, that it was, you know, a viable concept, but, uh, but in fact it has. And um, each of them have won double gold uh, in two major uh, spirits competitions, the Ultimate uh, Spirits Challenge, which is the biggest bartender-led, bartender-juried uh, competition um, in the world. Um, um, and so we're, we're, we're very excited that these, and these represent the pinnacle of our offerings, but that consumers are really seeing the parallel between terroir in, in vodka and terroir um, in wine. Um, so it's coming, it, it's, really, it's really coming. There's a whole evolution, we think, and the, you know, the Heritage 176 and the whole malting rye and, and giving consumers a really, really different experience than what they've experienced before um, is, is something that, that we're excited to, to continue to do more of um, in the future. And, and we're able to do this because we have such a long tradition being, being in the distillery operating for 110 years, but there's just such a great Polish history of 600 years of, 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 of creating vodka. Yeah, so really the point of difference here, you know, simple ingredients, zero additives, you know, mastery of crafting rye, really, you know, seems like that's what sets Belvedere apart from the others. Yes, and speaking with a true voice, you know, and re really giving back to the world um, um, in terms of nourishing the land, um, so important. So uh, when you add that together, you create a, a sculpt, we think, that is, is fairly unique um, in the world of uh, vodka and, and, and spirits. And we want to continue going forward, you know, push this envelope and, uh, and do some new and very different things. You know, you asked, you asked earlier about the, the, the communications and campaign and, and, and really for us, you know, it's really our philosophy. It is our ethos. It is how we, we operate. Uh, but from a messaging standpoint, you know, we have not, we've not told the story. I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that Belvedere flavors, for instance, we make something called ginger zest, um, uses real ginger and real lemon zest to create the product. So for many of our competitors just used extracts and you know, off you go, 
we have huge vats and we cut up the whole fruit in the vats themselves and they macerate with the alcohol to give it the flavor. Um, we didn't do justice, I don't think, in terms of communicating that, but hopefully the whole Made with Nature platform going forward will allow us to engage consumers so they can better understand um, the commitment to quality and the craft that goes into uh, producing velvety. What channel is, are you going to push the Made with Nature message out in? Well, for us, um, as I said, we, we consider it a platform in addition to just being a campaign. So, you know, in addition to being um, on our own social media channels, as well as, you know, Instagram and many places that are just familiar to everyone, um, we're also looking to communicate this across all touch points, um, including at retail, you know, including um, in terms of uh, the e-commerce um, venues. So, you know, this is going to be our consistent mantra um, going forward because there's so many interesting aspects about it to discuss and share that we think it can be really engaging. Yeah, the campaign's beautiful. I saw some of the creative. So my final, my final question, which I ask every guest, is the luxury item question. If you were stranded on a deserted island and you could only have one luxury item with you, what would that luxury item be? It can't be any form of air transportation or any transportation at all or anything that requires mobile service. What would that one luxury item be? Uh, my item would be, please don't laugh. Um, well, oh, you haven't heard some of the other answers in the past. So. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe Nothing not. will surprise me. Well, I, 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 in, in pre-pandemic, I would travel a week and a half to two weeks out of every month. And um, so, I mean, I'm always, always traveling someplace and um, pretty regularly um, sleep deprived. Belvedere is sold in 120 countries and we need to connect with all of our markets. So my luxury item where I stranded on an island would be a handcrafted mattress. Wow. And, and if you pressed me, I would tell you it would be a McGrosky mattress from McGrosky's in San Francisco. They've been around since 1899. There's a plug for McGrosky. But the <laughs> mattresses are spectacular and really facilitate great sleep. Hope you'd want a night mask with it, too. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Rodney, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate it. Very informative. Uh, you were a great guest. And um, again, thank you so much. Oh, Scott, thank you. That's it for this episode of the Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.